Hey guys, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So chapter 18 starts with Surah Al-Mu'minun. This surah was revealed before the previous surahs, and I hope everyone knows that the Quran was not arranged in chronological order. So the surah was before things got super bad in Mecca with the Muslims. Mu'minun is defined as a true believer of Allah, the Prophets, the Quran, and the Day of Judgment. The surah was sent down to tell people who the true believers were, how they were going to be rewarded, and how we should all do our best to become mu'minuns. So the surah begins by stating, the true believers have achieved true success. At the time, the non-believers were all very successful and rich. All the Muslims, on the other hand, were very poor, or they became poor because of all the business restrictions the Quraysh put on the Muslims. So Allah is pointing out that even though the believers might not be successful based on money, but they are successful in the eyes of Allah, which is a much better success anyway. All of us are chasing success. We are all super ambitious and want a better job, a higher salary. We want more followers on Instagram or more views on YouTube. The thing is, we will never be truly happy if all we do with our lives is chase success like a dog. Again, wanting to be successful is not wrong or bad. Ambition is great, but if your ambition is only focused on the success of worldly things, then you're actually losing. Again, remember, you're sitting in a classroom right now and your exam's main assignment is to become the best Muslim you can possibly be. The rest is all extra credit. If you don't do the main assignment, you tell me. You think the extra credit will be enough to help you pass? It's not. So first of all, balance. Second of all, focus on your main assignment first. Allah says the true believer is the one that prays Salah properly and beautifully. A true believer avoids useless and meaningless things like wanting to become popular, listening to dirty songs, engaging in gossip, joking about dirty topics, getting distracted by Instagram and YouTube videos. Yeah, I know, it's fun to spend hours watching random videos, but if it's taking over your life and you're doing this instead of other useful things that you could be doing, then I mean, come on. Obviously, these things take time for us to change. We're all at that age where all we wanna do is send memes and waste time on useless fun things. But as you grow older, just be conscious of all these little things, and hopefully you'll slowly grow out of them. The list continues. Allah says the true believer will always give charity. They will be careful with the way they treat others. True believers will not engage in zina, masturbation, or be in any relationship outside of marriage. A true believer will be honest and trustworthy. And again, Allah mentions a true believer will guard his prayer. Allah mentioned prayer in the beginning of this list and now in the end of this list to emphasize how important it is. Allah says these true believers with these qualities will inherit paradise. Allah reminds us that He created us from a clay, a sperm drop. He placed us in a safe fluid. Allah is literally talking about the embryo right now. The earliest scientific mention of a human embryo I was able to find on Google was in the 1600s and that was based on animal embryo. Before that, no one knew the stages of the embryo because they didn't have microscopes. Yet here is the Quran, thousands of years before that, giving a description of these stages in detail. SubhanAllah. Allah is basically telling us, look, I'm showing you how I created you so you can believe me when I tell you that I will eventually take your life away too and then bring it back again on the day of judgment. Allah reminds us that He is the one that sends down the rain in precise measurement. Without water, this entire earth would die. Allah gave us fruits and vegetables. Allah gave us animals, some to eat and others to use for traveling. Human beings would not be alive today if it weren't for fruits or vegetables and animals. Allah is reminding us of these blessings He gave us so that the disbelievers can understand that, wow, this book is making a lot of sense, that it's true. 
Allah mentions the story of Prophet Nuh as an example of what happens to the true believers and what happens to the disbelievers. We already went over this story. So just like how the Prophet was called crazy, Prophet Noah was also called a madman. The Quraysh were arrogant, stubborn idol worshippers, and so were the believers at the time of Noah. So what happened in the end? The true believers joined Prophet Noah on the ark and were saved, while the disbelievers were all drowned. Allah mentions Prophet Musa's story again, how the Pharaoh and his people were arrogant disbelievers, just like the Quraysh, and how Allah drowned them as well, saving the believers again. So Allah is saying, look at the pattern. Generation after generation, prophets were sent. And all the people before you who also didn't accept and call their prophets crazy, look what happened to them. All of them were destroyed. Your fate will be the same if you don't accept the truth. Allah says, O messengers, eat from the good food and do good. Meaning, eat halal, eat healthy, eat from halal money too. What happens when we eat junk food? We feel bloated and ugh, right? What we eat influences how we feel. That is why Allah is telling us to eat healthy food, eat halal food. So imagine if eating junk food affects you physically, similarly eating food that you purchase with haram money will affect you spiritually. At the same time, Allah is saying, do good. Meaning, don't be like a cow that just eats and sleeps. No, be a productive human being. Consciously do good in this world. Make a difference. Help others. Allah tells us that all His messengers, all His prophets that came, all of them brought the same religion, brought the same message, believed in one God, and that is Allah. But people, they don't understand that. They changed the message that their prophets brought, changed the religion, and now they're so proud that they think that they're following the correct religion when they aren't. It's such a shame. And if only the Jews and Christians realize that, that we have the same God, the same prophets, and the same message. Allah says, leave them. Try your best, of course, but then just leave them. They'll learn their lesson the hard way. Allah says, do not think just because you are successful that it means Allah is happy with you. This was the Quraysh's main argument that we are successful, which means God must be happy with us. If God was angry, we would be poor like you Muslims right now. Allah says, no, being poor doesn't automatically mean that Allah hates you and being rich doesn't mean that Allah is happy with you either. Allah gives wealth to everyone. It doesn't matter if they are believers or even atheists. Being rich is a test in its own way and being poor is a test in its own way. So yes, Allah might reward someone he loves with success and wealth and he might punish someone by taking away their money. But as we read before, sometimes Allah will purposely give a sinner wealth and success as a punishment just so that he can let them fly high and then drop them even harder. And sometimes Allah takes away money from a good Muslim so that the hardship can bring him even closer to Allah. In fact, being blessed with wealth, being rich, is an even bigger test in Allah's eyes. It's a harder test since most people fail. How? Well, because when you have money, when you have everything you want, you don't need anything from Allah. You have no reason to turn to Allah, so it's easier to forget Allah. When you have nothing and you're struggling, I mean, you're obviously more likely to turn to Allah. And also, you gotta admit, the more you have, the more you have to lose. Rich people are usually flying high. They're used to a certain lifestyle. So the higher you fly, the harder it will hurt when you fall. Poor people don't have much to begin with. They've been struggling there all their lives, so they won't have much to lose and they easily adapt anyway. So hopefully that makes sense now. Worldly success does not always mean that Allah is happy with you. It could very well be a punishment. And well, for the Quraysh, that's exactly what it was. Their success is a ticking time bomb so that when they do end up losing everything, it'll be an even bigger slap on the face. Remember, your exam's main assignment is to be the best Muslim possible. So if you fail at that, 
it will not matter how successful you are on the extra credit portion. Allah reminds us, every deed of yours will be recorded. Do not be one of those people who don't take their sins seriously. To think that uh, it's no big deal, that Allah won't care if I listen to music. Allah's so merciful, why would he care that I smoke once? He won't care if I hang out with the opposite sex, even if we're just purely friends. That's shaitan convincing you that it's no big deal about the tiny sins. Imagine how he'll convince you when it comes to the bigger sins. So this is where Surah Al-Mu'minun ends and the chapter continues with Surah An-Nur. Surah An-Nur was revealed during a time when the Quraysh were spreading a lot of nasty rumors about the Prophet and his wives. So the Surah begins by letting everyone know that it is Allah that has revealed the Surah and these instructions. These instructions are very clear and mandatory. So listen carefully. Allah starts off by saying that those who commit zina, man or woman, must be lashed a hundred times publicly so that it can be a lesson for everyone else. That zina, having intercourse outside of marriage, is absolutely not allowed. Zina causes major damage to both the people involved. Not only are you becoming a slave of your desires, but you are risking the chance of having an unwanted pregnancy. Abortion is haram and raising a child as a single parent is difficult. Not to mention that the child is then deprived of a parent many times growing up. Not only that, it increases the spread of diseases and infections. Allah says that a person who commits zina cannot marry a person who is clean. Meaning it's not fair that a person who commits zina should get to marry a person who has stayed virgin. Because if a person commits zina once, it is very likely that the person can do it again. So it's only fair that two zina sinners should be right for each other. But if the person who commits zina repents, like sincerely and doesn't do it again, then it is permissible for them to get married to a clean virgin. See, the purpose is to protect the relationship. Why would anyone want to get married with someone who would likely cheat on you after getting married? Now, for a person to be accused of zina, there must be four witnesses to testify that they saw the act being done. Like, actually saw being done. Meaning they can't just accuse a person of zina because they saw they were making out. They must witness the actual act. Only then can a person be considered guilty and then put on trial. As haram as zina is, Allah is still trying to protect those who sin. What are the chances that four people would witness a couple doing zina? Not very likely, right? That just prevents a person from publicly accusing a couple of doing zina and then taking them to court. Allah made this rule because He wants this act to remain as hidden as possible. But that doesn't mean we should do zina just because no one is watching. <laughs> Allah is watching. Allah then talks about false accusations, which is a huge issue in today's society. If a person falsely accuses someone of zina and they cannot bring four witnesses forward, then lash the false accuser 80 times and never accept their testimony ever again. <laughs> That's how serious it is. So on the whole basis of false accusations, these verses were revealed because of a specific situation that happened with the Prophet and his wife Aisha. So the story goes that the Prophet peace be upon him went out on a journey and his wife Aisha came along with him and the whole caravan. At one of the places they stopped, Aisha somehow got left behind. Someone else from the group came by and saw that she was left, so he took Aisha back on his camel. Once they got back, this is where someone spread a rumor that Aisha and this guy did zina. At first, Aisha didn't even know that this rumor was spreading. But she noticed that the Prophet peace be upon him was acting a little weird for the past month. Aisha finds out about the rumor and she's crying. That's when the Prophet goes to her and says, Listen, I heard a rumor. If you are innocent, I know Allah will declare your innocence. And if you are guilty, just repent. Allah is the most forgiving. Which husband would react so lovingly if he heard his wife possibly cheated on him? Nobody! So obviously Aisha was still upset that no matter what she says, people in the community would still believe the rumor. 
And that's when Allah revealed these following verses to declare her innocence. Allah says, as much as it sucks to have a rumor spread about you, as much as it sucks to be falsely accused of something, if you know you are innocent, then just trust Allah. Allah will take care of it. As well, Allah says, don't worry. Whoever started this rumor will be severely punished. And for the people who hear a rumor and talk about it and spread it, they will also be greatly punished. So when you hear a rumor, it is your duty to stop such a thing. Allah warns us not to follow in shaitan's footsteps. Allah warns us against spreading indecency. What is indecency? Spreading rumors, gossiping, referring to women as the B-word or other degrading names, using vulgar language, talking and joking about inappropriate topics, you know, locker room talk, guy talk, wearing indecent clothing since it makes others want to wear it too. Basically, majority of the things we all do today for fun and as a joke, majority of those things would come under this category. But we're so used to it, we don't think twice about it. We're just being funny, right? Lighthearted fun. Well, you need to start being a little bit more conscious about it. Following shaitan's footsteps can lead you to some pretty dark places. Allah says in the Quran that corrupt women are for corrupt men, and good women are for good men. Meaning, corrupt people should belong with each other, and good people should belong with each other. Is it fair that a good woman should have to spend the rest of her life with an abusive, vulgar, and non-religious man? No, why should she have to put up with that? So Allah is basically saying to be careful who you choose to marry. You want to make sure whoever you choose helps you become a better Muslim and doesn't drag you down. Next, Allah sends down some rules to bring a little order to society. Allah tells us not to enter another person's house or room without asking permission. Back then, apparently people would just show up unannounced, which as you can imagine, would cause some privacy issues. So Allah says, don't just pop into someone's house or even their rooms without permission. And don't peek inside either. First of all, that's creepy. Second of all, you never know if the women of the house are covered or not. Isn't that crazy? The fact that it's mentioning something so small just proves that the Quran has the way of life for every matter. Allah then tells the man, lower your gaze and guard your private parts. Does lowering your gaze even need an explanation? Stop oogling girls on the streets. Stop staring like a creep. Don't check out girls. And this also applies to what you watch on TV and what you're scrolling through on Instagram. It's so easy to be scrolling through Instagram and then see a pretty model whose entire Instagram page is just full of narcissistic pictures of herself. Allah knows that humans, especially men, can't control their thoughts when they see something they like. And one thought leads to another and then it ends with a haram act. That's why looking at that type of content is even considered the zina of the eyes. Stay away from it. Allah says guard your private parts, particularly the portion from your belly button down to your knees. And this applies to when you're alone as well. Don't just lounge around naked because Allah says there are always angels with you and the shaitan as well. Shaitan will of course enjoy but you should feel shy to expose yourself in front of the angels and Allah. Then Allah gives the same rule to women. Women also have to lower their gaze and they should also guide their private parts. Allah has also stated that a woman is required to cover herself. Wear modest clothing. Do not wear clothes that are so tight that people can see the shape of your body. A woman is required to cover her hair as well as her chest. A woman should not intentionally dress up to show off her beauty. I understand that this is a sensitive topic of course, but again, this is something that takes time and patience to apply. Nothing happens overnight. Both men and women should be conscious of their actions and just try their best. Allah says you should get married if you can. If a suitable option comes your way, don't be too picky. Marriage is half your deen, so don't delay it for no reason. Make dua that Allah helps you find someone who's perfect for you. So these were the rules that Allah sent down. Laws about zina, false accusation, 
how corrupt men should marry and ruin the lives of a good woman, how spreading rumors is haram, and how both men and women should carry themselves. Allah said, now that I've told you all these rules, follow them unless you want to be punished. Allah is the light. Following Allah will bring you out of darkness, out of depression. This is why this surah is called Surah Nur, which means light. Allah is telling us not to get lost in the dark, and the best place to find light is in the mosque, in the Quran, and through the remembrance of Allah. So be more motivated to go pray at the mosque. Stop being a lazy baby and just go. Stop making up excuses for why you can't go. Remember, the more effort you put in, the more reward you will get back. Tell me, those who've played video games before, right? When you don't like the game or want something changed, who do you think has the power or, you know, authority to change the game? The developer, right? They're the ones who made the game, so they're the ones who can obviously change the game. So if you're stressed out about a work issue or some other problem, why would you not go to the mosque and ask Allah, the one who created this game, and ask him for help? Allah makes a promise to us that those who obey, those who follow the Quran and Sunnah, Allah promises to give you success and power in this world. He promises to make your lives easier and better. So this is where Surah Nur ends and the chapter continues with Surah Furqan. So Surah Furqan deals with more doubts and issues the people had against the Quran and the Prophet peace be upon him. Furqan means the standard something is compared with. So the Surah begins by saying that Allah, the Almighty and the All-Wise has sent this Quran so that we can use it as a standard for everything. The Quran tells us what is wrong and right, what is good and bad, and what is the best way to do things. Again, people are making the same dumb comments that how is the messenger a human? The disbelievers somehow expected the Prophet to be superhuman or something, to be rich and followed by a crew of angels. Allah says no. The point of a Prophet being a human is so that we can relate to them. If the Prophets were superhuman, then we'd say, oh well, I can't be patient or nice like the Prophets because they were superhumans, I'm just a normal human. No, they are humans and we have no excuse not to do our best and follow them. They went through far worse than what we can imagine. They struggled the most. Their lives were extremely difficult and that's so we can learn from their hardships. Allah mentions again, Allah has made each person in this world to play a role in your life. And many people's role will be to cause fitna in your life, to cause problems in your life. Every person in your life is sent as a test to you. That includes your parents, that includes your siblings, your best friends, your spouse. Every person in your life will play a role and will either lead you to Allah or away from Allah. This is the test to see how patient you will be with these people and how you will deal with them. We can't just avoid the world and isolate ourselves. No, we need to learn to deal with these people in a healthy way. So this is where chapter 18 ends and Surah Al-Furqan continues on to chapter 19.